You were listening to the Our HS Podcast, the Warriors of Hydratinitis Seportiva, Episode 6. Today we're speaking with a legend in the world of HS, Mr. Manuel Yagano. We'll discuss his story with HS and the surgeries that he's gone through. So let's get started. The medical information on this podcast is provided as an information resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This information is not intended to be patient education, does not create any patient-physician relationship, and should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or for guidance about any specific medical conditions. Our Heroic Stories podcast expressly disclaims responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of your reliance on the information contained on this podcast. The creators of this podcast do not endorse specifically any test, treatment, or procedure mentioned on this podcast. By listening to this podcast, you agree to the foregoing terms and conditions, which may from time to time be changed or supplemented. If you do not agree with the foregoing terms and conditions, you should not listen to this podcast. Hey everybody, Pedro Romero here. Welcome to the Our Heroic Stories podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thank you for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and our podcast fan page can be found at the Our HS Podcast Facebook page. You can come back as often as you like, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite RSS feed or to iTunes. You can also follow me on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get started with the show. Hey everybody, Pedro Romero here with the Our HS Podcast Episode 6. Today's episode was going to be just about surgery and HS, but I decided to reach out to someone who's been through quite a bit in terms of surgery and hydratinitis seportiva. His name is Manuel Yagano, and he's been a sufferer for a very long time, and he's been through multiple surgeries. So I just wanted to interview him and talk to him a little bit about what he's been through, what's worked and what hasn't, and what his suggestions are for people that are looking into surgical options for HS. Now, as many of us know, surgery is the most valuable thing to use in uh, the chronic and recurrent stages of hydratinitis seportiva. Wide surgical excisions with wide margins well beyond the clinical borders of activity remains the most definitive surgical therapy available. However, there is about a 33% rate of recurrence in people that have these wide excisions because the HS likes to move to the unaffected skin on other parts of your body. So um, it happened in my case where I had skin removed from under my arms and uh, the HS just moved to the different areas that weren't removed and it also moved to my groin and to other areas on my body. So um, I wanted to reach out to someone else who's been through similar experiences but maybe to a greater degree just so he can kind of share what he's been through and give you some ideas if you're looking at possibly going through, through the surgical route. So I'm happy to introduce my good friend. He's known as the HS Wolf in many HS circles. His name is Manuel Yaguno and he's a really great guy. Manuel, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your battles with HS and surgeries for HS? Well, as you probably know, I've had this since 1968, and I've been going through INDs from that point on. So there's hundreds that were in there in between then and now. I've had what those what they call the deroofing, which is where they go in and you know, kind of like scour everything out and then either put something for it to uh, continue leak until it heals from the inside in. But most of mine, most of mine have been, you pack it in and let it heal from the inside out so it takes several months for it to heal. Those probably in the hundreds that I've had. Now, major operations, God, I've had too many. The major ones I had were serious, serious ones wasn't, 
Finally, after 31 years of not being diagnosed with HS and having it, I got uh, finally diagnosed in 2001. And by that time, it had been in my face, my armpits, on my breast, on my waist, and it had gone down into my groin area. In my groin area, I kept having, uh, you know, INDs and debuffings and everything until it got to a point where I saw a dermatologist and he told me that I had a lymph node that was infected and couldn't find anybody really that knew what to do with, you know, taking care of a lymph node that either had to be opened up and cleaned out or removed, I wasn't sure. But I uh, managed to find, finally, a uh, plastic surgeon after about three years of searching. And by that time, I didn't have a choice because what happened was it has it had spread. I had it all over my groin and the sides, and then all of a sudden, my uh, my scrotum swelled up to about the size of a honeydew melon. And uh, first place they sent me to was a urologist. Don't know what for, but <laughs> they basically looked at it, and it was one of those practices where they're like, you know. 35 urologists and everybody got brought in to give an analysis and uh, I was exhibited to everybody to try to come out to find out what they were going to do and they basically sent me to the one plastic surgeon that they could think of who was an old army plastic surgeon burn victim specialist and uh, he knew exactly what I had he said you have HS or hydrogenatus and uh took out his his camera and started filming everything up and started treating me. I went to go see a uh infectious disease disease specialist for oh, I guess about nine months was taking intravenous antibiotics for that whole time being and uh nothing seemed to help. So ultimately what the surgeon had told me what he was going to have to just do this, do a surgery on the, the whole groin area. So I uh, went in for the surgery, and uh, he told me basically was that if I have to cut the scrotum off, I will cut it off. So not sure exactly how it's going to work, but got me set up to go in as uh, day surgery. <laughs> Knowing that it wasn't going to be a day surgery, <laughs> I went in and uh, had the surgery. And what it entailed was uh, he finally got in there with a whole group of doctors, urologists, and all kinds of specialists. And what they discovered was that uh, the lymph node, one of the one lymph node was infected. It had to be removed. As far as the scrotum, what they found out was that they found out that uh, they were able to save my scrotum, but they had to remove all the skin around it. So they went in, they cut around all my inside of my groin on both sides, all the way down on the inside where you could see all the way basically down to the bone, removed the lymph node, removed all the uh, skin off the scrotum, because like I said, by that time it was the size of a honeydew melon. So it took about nine hours for them to do that surgery. And uh, then I was sent up uh, to the room came out of the surgery, okay, was in the room, and then proceeded for the next two weeks to 
have uh, deep breeding done on the area. And deep breeding is what burn victims go through by removing the skin that is healed. And basically what he told me was he was looking for a uh, a certain color pigmentation of the skin. So he knew it was ready to accept the skin graft. So I had to go through deep breeding on the whole area, including the scrotum, uh, twice a day, 9 in the morning and 9 o'clock at night. And, of course, I was on... Uh, heavy, heavy painkillers, but didn't make a difference. So for two weeks, uh, twice a day, I went through deep breathing, nine in the morning and nine at night, where they would just take all the dressing off and, uh, clean the whole area off completely and then turn around and repack the whole thing and then do the same thing the next day in the morning. So once after the two weeks went by, I mean, I've been, I was on a, I was on a morphine pump the whole time. Of course, it didn't help. Uh, he gave me a, a handkerchief, you know, those handkerchiefs Mexicanos wear around their heads when they're out working in the sun. Yeah. And he said, what I want you to do, son, is that every time I debreed or we debreed or cause you any pain, this handkerchief is for you to bite. Because <laughs> there's, there's nothing we can do for the pain. You're on the morphine, but it's not going to do any good, so. I lived with that handkerchief from my mouth for those whole, those whole two weeks. And uh, one of the things that worked very well was the fact that uh, they did whirlpool on me straight into the area. And what they used to do was have, they had a big old dolly that would come lift me off the bed, completely off the bed, you know, laying down. And they would take me up to another floor set me into a giant whirlpool and then aim the whirlpool right at my scrotum area to clean area. Like I said, that went on for two weeks and finally it got to the point where he saw the perfect color and he said, well, it's time to do the, the grafting. So I got up the next day in the morning, went in. They took me down to the operating room and uh, they proceeded to go ahead and do the grafting on it. They took uh, basically the skin off both my thighs, starting from my knees all the way to the midsections down to both sides and then all the way up to my waist on both sides to put in place of everything they removed. As far as the lymph node, uh, they just left a hole probably about the size of a dollar piece that's about maybe about a half an inch, you know, inwards. They couldn't cover that up or fill it in. But the sad thing about it is that once they did the skin graft, they put all the skin, uh, they were able to save my scrotum, which <laughs> I was kind of happy about. <laughs> but the only bad thing about it was that since it had grown to the size of a honeydew melon, it never shrank back to the normal size. So it's back to, it's, it's at still maybe the size of a softball. But it's got all brand new skin. But the worst thing about it is that, uh, the day after the surgery, he came in in the morning and, uh, I, I, saw, I saw that he got angry. And basically what happened, I had picked up a hospital born disease called a pseudomonas. And it was located on the surgery side and it was also located on the donor side on my thighs. And, Pseudomonas is like a MRSA, you know, it, it doesn't go away unless, you know, 
you're lucky. And uh, the way he proceeded to turn around and, and help me was he got a box of uh, hydrogen peroxide and a box of gauze. And I'm talking not, you know, tiny boxes. I'm talking about the whole floor supply of both. And uh, his way of cleaning that up was to get a piece of gauze with hydrogen peroxide, stick the handkerchief in my mouth, and say, uh, I'm going to start digging into it. So with his thumb, he started cleaning the whole area, the scrotum, the sides, the thighs, with his thumb and gauze and hydrogen peroxide and just scrubbing the hell out of it. And to everybody's amazement, uh, I was there for two weeks after that on antibiotics and fighting it. So I was total time spent about six weeks in the hospital. And uh, after about six weeks, I came home, and then I had a nurse come here every day measuring the wounds, treating the wounds for about another maybe three or four months before it finally all healed up. So that was my experience with my first major surgery. That was back in 2001. And uh, after that, uh, you know, I still continued to get more HS. And funny thing about it is that I always get HS, but never on the sites where I've had surgically removed everything. Uh, I will get it on the sides of it. I will get it in new areas. But wherever my plastic surgeon has removed everything, I never get anything back on that site. Like, you know, he tells me, he goes, I make sure that I do overkill and I may take out more than I really need to, but at least I know I'm going to get it. Yeah, in my experience with HS surgeries, um, I had spots removed, but then the HS just moved to the areas that weren't removed. So I had little spots taken out in one area, but then the HS would move to my groin, to my waistline, my buttocks, some other area on my body. So um, just removing spots doesn't really help in my case, and it, here, it, it sounds like it's the same thing in your case. Oh, yeah. I, I started with it on my face, and it went from my face, I had it on my ears. I had my my eyes would would get closed up. They would be so swollen. And uh, I, like I said, I was 12 years old at the time when I started. And and then when, when I got into my armpits, you know, I had to quit sports in high school. Uh, they would just turn around and do an IND, drain it, and eventually I got the approval uh, to go ahead and just keep a beard on my face and not shave. So I gra- I managed to graduate from high school with a Medically, medical excuse saying I could not shave. So, uh, and from that point on, it just kept spreading. I would get it in one armpit and they would do an IND and it'd go away for a little while and come back, go to the other one. I had it under my breasts. I had it in my groin. Uh, back when I was in between, uh, high school and college. In college, I got a, uh, what's also known as the pilonidal cyst that usually people who have HS have. So I got a title analysis when I was in college, and I had surgery in uh, 1978, 1979, and 1980 because they had to do it three times. That's the first time it didn't work, the second time it didn't work. And the third time they managed to cut all the way down to the tailbone, and uh, it looked like they finally got it all by that time so I had surgery and three times 
And then, like I said, during the 80s and 90s was just, you know, IND after IND, antibiotic, tetracycline, you name it, whatever antibiotic there was, it was out there, I got it. Uh, ultraviolet radiation, you name it. Some of the surgeries I had on my face when I was very young was, uh, they used to actually made an incision on, on the boil and, uh, left a little hole. And what that little hole did was hold a little rubber band. And that rubber band would be inserted in there, and then it'd be covered with a gauze. And then every night, I would get over the the sink in the bathroom, remove the little pad, the patch, and remove the little rubber band. And then I would milk all the stuff out of the cyst on my face. My mom would turn around and sterilize another piece of little rubber band, stick it back in there, and put a patch back on it. So that went on for, God, I don't know, years, back and forth, until it finally kind of cleared up in my face. And because it started traveling somewhere else, I guess that's what I finally managed to figure out was somewhere else stopped in my face. So, like I said, I had to end up quitting sports. Couldn't do that anymore. Uh, that was my sophomore year in high school. And, you know, it would go from my butt to my groin and back and forth and IND and then, Somebody started using uh, what they call the D-roof in which they would actually go in and kind of, I call it getting a spoon, cutting everything out, and then packing it in the way they do a paranormal fit. So they would, they would treat everything that I would get on my HS that way. Yeah, I've had de-roofing done on some of my sores, and it's like you said, they, they get like a spoon and dig everything out and uh, like dig in a little deep so they can get all the infection out of it. And it's uh, it's pretty painful, but it ends up coming back uh, later on. So it's not a cure. It's just something to treat the symptom at the moment. Yeah, I got a hole on my left cheek that, you know, you look at my left cheek and it's kind of like half of it's gone. Uh, I had it done bad behind, behind my neck. I had some behind my ears that I had cut into. I got a small indentation on the side of my nose where one grew into and they kept cutting out. And, uh, I guess I then it went to my armpits and, you know, that would just be a matter of, you know, slice it open, pack it in, deal with the pain, deal with the smell. But like I said, in, in 2000, around 2001, it finally got to my scrotum and like I said, it was, it was the size of a honeydew melon and, uh, it's, they kept thinking that I had uh, picked up some kind of disease when I was down across the border in uh, Acuna, Mexico, for about a month doing some work. And uh, so they put me with an infectious disease specialist for nine months. He couldn't do anything, so he finally gave up, and they sent me to a urologist, and that's when I had my surgery in 01. And like I said, I never got anything back in those areas. I've got a big old hole from where they removed the uh, lymph node. My scrotum is still the size of uh, maybe a softball. And uh, my indentations in my groin, you know, are all the way down to the bone on the inside. And then I have, like I said, I'm missing my left cheek, uh, missing chunks out of my left breast. Uh but uh, then uh, he, my, my plastic surgeon decided to go ahead and scare me by having a heart attack. And uh, any time I would get one, as, as soon as it was, it would show, uh, I was advised not even to make an appointment, go to his office. He would see me immediately and just de-roof it on the spot. 
So his approach to it, his approach was always that he didn't care how much pain he caused because what he was interested in was curing it. So I would go in and I would have the damn boil and, and it could be opened up. Uh, his way of making sure that it was a, there was enough room to work and be ruthless to squeeze it and get a pair of scissors and just go clip and make a big hole and then start digging into it. Well, he had a stroke. And when he had the stroke, he basically said, I cannot handle your type of patient no more. So he went on to do, you know, just the regular, you know, uh, breast transplants and stuff that he could do, but he couldn't handle anymore. So I was left to try to find another plastic surgeon. So I went for about five or six years trying to find another plastic surgeon. In the meantime, I kept seeing the infectious disease doctor, dermatologist. I mean, I've always been seeing by the dermatologist since 1970. But, uh, you know, nothing ever worked. So I would just greet and bear it. But uh, not having a surgeon after him for a few years, I found my I found myself back in uh, 2008 having about 13 different sites that were completely out of control, and uh, all the de-roofing and everything that would go in it wouldn't help. It just kept hurting like hell and getting worse and spreading. So I was getting to the point where I was getting ready to go out of town to look for a plastic surgeon, and uh, Managed to find one here at the at the university that is a teaching school. So I went to go see him, and he told me that he knew exactly what to do. So I was scheduled for surgery. He was going to go ahead and take care of it. To my surprise, when I got into the hospital, they went to their routine tests. They did a they did a blood draw and. Uh, and they basically said, no, we cannot do surgery because your, your blood count is too low. They said, uh, we're going to release you. You need to go to your doctor because you need to find out why your blood count is, your red blood count is so low. So by the time I got out of the hospital and went to go see my primary, my blood count went down to 2.2. And, uh, I guess that was from having there's 13 different sites all over my groin, my rear, my armpits, my breast. And basically what happened was the doctor said that uh, I sh- at that point I should either be unconscious or I should have been dead with a dead low. So they rushed me to the hospital, gave me some blood. I stayed a couple of days there until my blood level went my my count went up. And then I went out of the hospital. And... uh they proceeded to go in, try to figure out why my count was so low. Found out that what was going on was that uh wasn't bleeding. I went to go see a gastroenterologist, couldn't find nothing. Uh went to go see another doctor, heart specialist, uh did, did the whole checked all my veins and everything. Wasn't bleeding wasn't bleeding from anywhere. So they sent me to a hematologist. Uh, who would, who's a, a blood doctor, blood cancer specialist, and worked with him for about eight months trying to figure out what was causing my blood count to be so low. In the meantime, 
during the time span of those two years that I've been I've been waiting, I lost something like seventy pounds. Uh, I couldn't walk anymore. Uh, he was trying to find out what was wrong with me. I was going in for blood transfusions about every two weeks. Uh, we get either two pints or three pints every time I went in. And that went on for about six or seven months and finally got to the point where the hematologist told me that he just couldn't find anything that was wrong with me and what was causing it. And, uh, in the meantime, like I said, um, I got all these 13 different sites all over the place and, uh, had been working up until 2008. I finally had to end up quit working, apply for disability in 2010. 2011 was when I was seeing a hematologist for the whole year. And in December 2011, I'm finally scheduled for surgery. Uh, and, uh, the surgeon had to promise the hematologist that he would maintain my RB, my blood count at least at 10 during surgery. And if he could do that, he would authorize me to have the surgery. So I went in December of 2011 to have the surgery on all these sites. By that time, like I said, there were 13 completely out of control. And what happens, I'm sitting in the operating room having, getting ready to have my surgery. I'm, I'm, I'm distraught completely. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point of desperation. Uh, I was taking, what, two, four, six, six bracket in a day. I was taking 1600 milligrams of ibuprofen four times a day. And then I was turning around and taking alcohol and smoking weed at the same time just to deal with the pain. And uh, even that didn't help. So either way, I got authorized for the surgery, went in for the surgery. Plastic surgeon said he knew what he was going to do. And I'm sitting there, and it's December 2011. Uh, I'm down to 170 pounds. My blood count is to the point where, you know, if I don't get blood, you know, like you said, you, you either die or you should be unconscious. But either way, I kept getting blood and kept treating them off during this whole time. And then all of a sudden, my plastic surgeon comes up to me in the operating room and says that uh, he just got a phone call. It was a local accident, automobile accident here in town in San Antonio. And that several of the children in the accident needed needed him for plastic surgery. And that if I'd like to, I could wait till 9 o'clock at night before he could get to me. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point of desperation. I've been dealing with this for, for three years already, and I'm saying, you know. So I finally just told the doctor, I said, you know what, go take care of the children, let me go home, and we'll reschedule. I'd rather you turn around and help them. I can wait. I waited this long. So I went. I came back home and I waited. So they finally called me and said they can. Ha- I can have my surgery on the 13th of January. So it turns out to be 2012 January Friday the 13th, and my whole family saying, "Hell no! There's no way you're going to have surgery on Friday the 13th." And my response to that was. If I don't have the surgery on Friday the 13th, the way he wants, I would just turn around and end it because I can't stand living like this no more. I'm tired of it. 
So they finally gave in and said, okay, you can have it. You're going to have the surgery. And uh, went in, like I said, it was a teaching institution. So this guy is the head of plastic surgery here in, in town at the school. And uh, the agreement was that he would turn around and and bring everybody possible into the surgery that he was teaching. Uh, plastic surgeons, surgeons, uh, dermatologists, whoever wanted to come in and either see and his, all his students were able to come in and look and some were able to turn on and actually participate and help. <laughs> Everybody took a chance on working on me. <laughs> and I had sutures, staples, skin grafts, you name it, whatever they needed to put on there, they put on there. And to his, his word, like I said, you know, he uh, told me that I would not spend more than four days in the hospital. And I said, why? He goes, because the longer you stay here, the more susceptible you get to picking up a Pseudomonas or MRSA or something. So sure enough, after four days, they sent me home. And uh, they sent me home. I came home on the fourth day. By the fourth day when I got home, all the problems with my blood completely disappeared after the surgery. My, my blood count was back up to normal. I no longer needed blood transfusion, so now it's heating. And that was in 2012. Now, that last surgery I had in 2012 gave me a freedom that I hadn't had in a long time. It gave me remission for all of 2012, 2013, 2014. So almost three years, I had nothing. I enjoyed life. But then last year, May of last year, I, I got one back in a new site. And little by little, since May of last year, they've been coming back in, different, in new sites. So right now I'm sitting at home and I'm up to selling new sites right now. And my insurance does not include my plastic surgeon. So I cannot have plastic surgery until I change plans next year. That's going to be January, so I have to sit around and wait. So in the meantime, I thought I would try Humira. I'm at the point where I'm just so tired of this after 48 years that I'm willing to try it and give it a chance. Give it anything. I don't care what it is. One, my dermatologist here in town is the one who actually did the study for Humira. And I have also, because of that, I have spondyloarthropathy, which is one of the comorbidities with uh, HS. I also have uh, fibromyalgia. I have... Uh, Irritable bowel syndrome, I have diabetes, uh, you name it. They all just come along with it. And uh, so I was trying to get Humira. Like I said, I've been on disability. My wife had to retire because I just, I just, you know, couldn't do anything at home anymore. I'm just so tired and so exhausted from all the pain from the HS, everything, the arthritis, you name it. So right now I'm on methotrexate, which is the cancer medication, and I'm on prednisone to try to hold it down, doxycycline, 
my insurance wouldn't pay for the clindamycin that uh, the dermatologist want, wanted to me to put on the topical. So that's out of the question because it's too expensive for them to pay for it, I guess. So now I'm sitting here waiting to have surgery, but I have to wait till next year. As far as Ecumera was concerned, my insurance wouldn't pay for it. And I don't qualify under the plan because my wife and I, too much income. And between the rheumatologist and the plastic surgeon and my dermatologist all got together and decided that uh, the best thing for me to do was to get on Chimera because it would help with me arthritis, it would help with my HS. In the meantime, I continue to have INDs and debuffings in between. And uh, they said I could get the Chimera if I get a divorce from my wife. Wow, that's <laughs> insane. And I'm going give, to give up my wife to get $5 Chimera. No, I will not do that. So, uh, that's been my experience. Like I said, surgery is the only thing that's ever worked for me. Like I said, I've been sitting with it since 1968. I have all the other comorbidities that go with it. The depression, the anxiety, the stress, the fibromyalgia, the arthropathy, uh, diabetes. You know, it's, just, it's like a snowball. They all just keep coming and coming and every year it's a new one. And, uh, but as far as, like I said, the surgeries, I've been through all of them. And if you can find a plastic surgeon that knows what he's doing and you're at the point where you're a stage three and there is no other solution but surgery, you know, find somebody that knows how to do it. Find out, make sure that, you know, he knows what he's doing. And if he does, you can get a pretty good remission for a few years after that. But it's never going to go away. And it's always going to come back somewhere else. Uh, I'm never going to get it back in my armpits because both of my armpits are completely gone now. Uh, I don't even sweat from my armpits anymore because there's nothing left. I have no hair. I, I don't sweat, so I don't use deodorant at all. My groins, are, both sides are completely gone, all the way down to deep inside to the bone section. Uh, I got the holes from the lymph nodes that have been removed. Uh, my, scrotus, my scrotum is still the size of a baseball. So that that covers all the surgeries that I've had. Like I said, the surgery is the only thing that's ever worked for me. If the doctor knows what he's doing, then it's a blessing. But if they don't know what they're doing, uh, you got to be careful because it's going to come back, and it'll always come back in the same spot if they don't remove the whole thing. So you need to find an aggressive doctor, one who's not afraid, one who knows what he's doing. That's my experience with surgery. Well, thank you very much for discussing this with me. Is there anything else you'd like to tell me about HS in regards to your surgeries and what you've been through? The pain of HS is so debilitating. And if you're able to turn around and have the surgery and get at least two, three years of remission out of it, I mean, those two, three years are fantastic. But always keep in mind that it's going to come back, and it's always going to show up somewhere else. And uh, if you go through the pain of having the surgery, it's worth it if uh, they know what they're doing. Uh, all of my doctors have recorded my surgery, so I'm sure I'm being taught somewhere in the school here in town. 
uh, whenever possible. And I noticed that uh, plastic surgeons here in town that are tied to the university are being listed in health grades in that program or that uh, software company called Health Grades. Uh, most of the surgeons now are being listed as people who know how to treat HS. So if I was a guinea pig for them to learn, then that's fine. <laughs> Have you noticed a lot of advancements with the treatment of HS based on when you were younger versus now? Um, just with the treatment, the options, and the more aggressive uh, nature of the doctors these days? Oh, yeah. I mean, I still see a lot of the old medications being used, like antibiotics, but See, a lot of people think that antibiotics are being used to treat the HS. Antibiotics don't treat HS. All they are, like my dermatologist told me, they're there to do one reason, to prevent an infection, okay? And second of all, to help with the inflammation. Those are the, that's the only reason why you take the antibiotics. It isn't going to do anything to remove HS. It ain't going to make it go away. It ain't going to make it stop hurting. Maybe it will because it's supposed to help with the inflammation. So, you know, I've seen the antibiotics. I used to put, when I first started out, I used to have a a lotion. Uh, not a lotion. Uh, um, uh, it was some kind of thing that my doctor said, you put so much in the warm water, and it was like a sulfuric acid. It stunk like hell. And I would put, like, you know, hot packs on my face overnight, every night, after I, after I milked them. And, uh, it was some kind of sulfuric acid. It smelled like hell. They kicked, my mom actually kicked me out of the house and told me to go do it outside. That's how bad it smelled. So, I mean, back in 1970, when I started seeing my dermatologist, one of the things he always did was every year when he went to the, uh, meeting that they had for dermatologists, uh, I was always a discussion as to, you know, what can I do to help this young man? And he would turn around and bring me up with a case and try to figure out what to do. Uh, I never got named HS. That's from 1968, 69, 70 when I started seeing him. I never knew anything about HS until 2001. So... Uh, all that time, 31 years, it was just a matter of going from one dermatologist to another dermatologist to a surgeon to have surgery, to have it cut out. But it would always come back, and it would always come back in the same spot. And so it was just, you know, over and over and over and over. And, you know, that's just the way you, you learn to live with it and you learn to cope with it. And the only relief I really found finally was, you know, Having it completely removed, completely cut out. Have you found that prednisone helps you at all with the severity of your sores and reducing the size or uh, lessening the drainage? Uh, I'm on five milligrams of prednisone a day right now, but that's for to help me with the arthritis, the inflammation from the arthritis, and it is helping me with uh, keeping the inflammation down on the HS. That along with the methotrexate. Now, I don't know if the methotrexate is having any effect on the HS, but it's supposed to be helping me with uh, my cutting back on my uh, immune system so that it helps my arthritis. Have you ever heard of Dr. Sackner? I was on a round of it about a month ago, and all it did was give me an upset stomach, and it didn't really help me very much. I was, okay, and from between 2010 and 2000, 
2012, I was on it for all of 2010, all of 2011, up until mid-2012 when I had that surgery. So I've been on it for extended periods of time, up to three years. I'm on it again, along with, uh, like I said, the methotrexate and the prednisone. And it's keeping my HS, you know, kind of at bay right now. It goes up and it goes down and goes up and it goes down. My stress goes up and my HS goes up. My arthritis goes up. Everything goes up. My stress goes down. Everything starts to quiet down. So, you know, uh, I can't have surgery, like I said, until January until I change insurance so that I can get coverage with uh, the plastic surgeon so I can have it removed. Right now what I have is I have uh, one, two, three, four. I have four sites on my groin area again. I have three sites on my rear end. And the funny thing about it is that there was maybe about the size of a marble at the bottom part of my scrotum was the last one little piece of skin that wasn't removed in 2001 when they did the surgery on my scrotum. And the funny thing about it is that the one that bothered me the most right now came out right in that little one-inch spot. And it's about the, well, maybe about the size around of a, of a dollar coin right now. And uh, so I, uh, I have trouble walking, I have trouble sitting, uh, I don't sit much, I don't drive much. And uh, you know, the, you know about, you know, the leakage and the stink and all that. I'm sure everybody is aware of it. And, uh, but that's the main one that's bothering me right now is the one that's at the bottom of my scrotum. And I'm just hoping that it doesn't spread back up to the rest of the scrotum that I already had surgery on. Just want people to understand, you know, and one of the things I keep reading is that, you know, people say that this thing gets, as you get older, this thing gets better. You know, I've heard some people say that once you hit, once you hit 50, you know, things will get better. And I'm here to say, you know, once I hit 50, everything got worse. I don't see where it got better. It actually, to me, it actually got worse. So I'm sitting at 60 years of age right now, and for since 2001, uh, it, it's been worse than when I was young. I guess maybe since you're younger, you're more uh, apt to turn around and be able to handle it. That's the only thing that I can see, but... Uh, going on 48 years now and I'm tired as hell of it, but it goes on. It certainly does, and uh, it's really it's really weird when you start dealing with insurance companies because they only want to cover certain procedures. Like with me, they only wanted to cover spot removal instead of removing the entire armpit area. So when they did that, they uh, they took out the infected tissue, but it just spread to the area right next door to it. So uh, in the long run, it didn't really help me too much. It helped me in the short term because it took away the infected tissue, but in the long term, it just came back in another area and it came back a bit more furious, in my opinion. So yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm a little put off by what med the medical community does, but it's not really the doctors. A lot of it is what the insurance companies do, and uh, and like I said, you take out an infected area and it just moves right next door. Well, it just moves next door. It comes back in the same place. You know, back then. Speaking of uh, 
insurance company. That, that, that surgery in 2001 was right around, when I got home, was sometime around 90, a few days right before 9-11. And I got the, I got the final settlement bill a few days after 9-11. And after being in the hospital for six weeks and having that surgery and going through all of that, and I saw the bill and I'm going like, Jesus Christ. I mean, that was close to 200,000 bucks right there alone. When you left with a bill for 20% of that, I mean, Jesus. That's why this last time when I had surgery, I'm so glad I only spent four days in the hospital, but, you know, I still ended up owing about maybe $6,000 after that four-day stint. So my situation is just, you know, it's just an added thing. It adds to the stress, and you know how stress affects HS. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand not only the financial aspect of having HS, but also the psychological aspect, because now you're building stress on a disease that's caused by stress, so now that stress makes your disease even worse, and uh, and it just it's a snowball effect. It's a, it's a big snowball, and it just keeps adding and adding and adding, and there's really nothing you can do to stop that unless you can find a way to address the stress, but financial obligations also weigh on that stress as well. Yeah, it's just like I said, it just keeps rolling downhill, and and uh, you got no way of stopping it, so you end up just rolling with it and uh, putting up with it and going with the you know going with the punches and dealing with it as much as you can. You know, as far as the finances go, you know, you do the best you can, you move on. Uh, like I said, I finally had to quit working in 2008 and got approved for disability so you know it helps but it doesn't cover everything you know even at this point right now you know we're right now you know paying off all the medical expenses i've been having since uh 1998 99 when i started with uh it getting very very severe at that point uh i'd have to say that by this point my savings have been wiped out my retirement money's gone uh, so the only thing I have left to live on is my disability and then my wife's retirement because she had to stay home now and take care of me because I just, I just can't do this anymore. So just the financial impact and the stress that you get from that. And then, you know, there's always other stresses that you have in your life. You have family, family situations. You know, in my case, you know, I had a lot of responsibilities as far as family was considered and I was uh, the one that always took care of everybody, and it's difficult to turn around and finally sit back and say, you know, I just can't anymore. And uh, HS will turn around, and like I said, if you don't reduce your your stress, you'll never, never be able to have any kind of control over your HS. It just, it just compounds it. That's all I know. <laughs> but like I said, if you if you can find a surgeon. And he knows what he's doing. I know I've got one here in town. And I know that I've, at least I've been used to train the ones that are here at the university. Uh, my old surgeon always, also used to teach at University Hospital here in town. So, you know, I basically have gotten to the point where, you know, wherever I go, everybody goes, up, he has HS. And I'm kind of like, okay, let me take off my clothes so y'all can take a look at it, you know. 
<laughs> I've gotten so used to it already. It's like that with me as well. Whenever I make an appointment with my dermatologist, he usually calls some of his colleagues or some students over so they can observe what stage 3 HS looks like because they've seen stage 1 and 2 quite often, but stage 3 is one that's pretty rare yeah, for them. It's, it's, well, yeah, and, I, I, and, and I'm more than happy to do it because, like I said, if somebody else can learn from looking at me and seeing what they're seeing. Yeah, I even went to my cardiologist. I remember when the first time I went to go see him. He says, my wife's a dermatologist. She's in the, uh, she's a doctor. She's a dermatologist. She's right down the, down the hallway in another office. Can she come over? <laughs> I said, sure, bring her over. Let her look at it. Let her see it. So that way, sure, she comes across it. She knows what it looks like. Yeah, the same thing happens to me when I'm at the doctor's office. You got the same experience? Yeah. And so, and like I said, you know, surgery, like I said, to me, if you can find a plastic surgeon, if you know, I know there's things like, you know, the CO2 that's being done and all those other different types of surgeries. I've never tried them. Uh, there's nobody in town here that I know that does it. Although I managed to find someone that does the old, what they call old-fashioned CO2 surgery here in town. Uh, but I never did go see him, never heard of his name or anything until, you know, maybe about eight months ago. Because I had a friend come down here from uh, up close to Dallas, Texas, that I have him in contact with. He comes down here to see him, but he hasn't been able to have the surgery because his his HAS is so out of control that uh, uh, it's gotten to the point where it's a, a bone infection and it's in its re in his rear, and uh, they just can't afford to do the surgery because he's so weak and so thin. And uh, he comes down here to see the doctor who wants to do that type of surgery. But unless they can get it more under control, there's no way he can have surgery. So uh, I know that he's here in town. But like I said, you know, if anybody's got question on surgery, you know, as far as I can tell you, as far as the deep breathing is very, very, very painful that you go through. And if they don't do any deep breathing, when they do your surgery, uh, then I would have to turn around and say by that time, if they don't do any deep breathing for a while before they do the skin graft, uh, I would venture to say that it's going to come back and the doctor doesn't know what he's doing, I think. Because like my plastic yeah. surgeon told me from the very get-go, you know, if it takes one day, I'll do it in a day. But if it gets... Since he was a, a burn a burns victim specialist, he would look at the skin and say, when it uh, when it looks a certain color, a certain pinkish color, I know it's ready to accept the, new, the skin. And when when it gets to that point is when I'll do the graft. Until that point, you're just gonna have to sit there and go through the debreeding. And I went through two weeks of debreeding, twice a day, and. You know, the nurses, when I left the the hospital after I got out after six weeks, the nurses gave me a little going-away party and uh, basically awarded me with a title of saying, because of the fact that I went through the deep breathing that they did night and uh, twice a day, uh, they basically said that I'm the only man that they know that has the experience to know what it's like to give birth to a child. Because... I mean, when 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 you have an open wound and you're growing and you're scrotum and and they're trying to remove the dressing, 
and then they have to turn around and clean it up and scratch it, all the area up. Uh, ain't no kind of uh, painkiller you're going to take that's going to deaden the pain. You know, it's still painful. And I still have a handkerchief. <laughs> and, you know, that's another thing I want to talk about is the pain the people that HS, with HS. Nobody understands the severity of the pain that comes with HS. Don't know how debilitating it is. Uh, basically, you know, I've, I've been diagnosed with PTSD from all the shit that I've gone through. And the pain from HS, nobody understands. Nobody gets it unless you've had it and unless you've gone through it. Because like most people say, you know, it's, 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 you know, a lot of people say uh, that, you know, uh, a woman having a baby is the most excruciating pain they can go through. And my dermatologist and my plastic surgeon turn around and tell me, yeah, that's true. But the only good thing for them is that once they have their baby, the pain's gone. For you guys, the pain doesn't go away. It's there 24-7. And there are 365 days out of the whole year. It doesn't go away. That's the only advantage they have is that once they have the baby, it's gone. But you're with the same pain level that they're going through through childbirth, but it's there all the time. Uh, right now, I don't take anything for pain uh, <laughs> because nobody wants to give me anything for pain anymore. <laughs> Thanks to the... Thanks to the DEA and all the druggies. Yeah, and it seems like the medical doctors had their hands tied because of the DEA and all of the druggies, and now everyone's trying to self-medicate with cannabis and other medications to make up for what they need for their chronic pain. Everybody's self-medicating. Everybody's turning to some, some alternative way of trying to lessen the pain, and it's, it's sad for people to be put in that situation. I know the pain. I've dealt with the pain for since 1968. And uh, to see what people have to go through and uh, have not any uh, way of getting any pain relief whatsoever. I mean, we're not. Uh, one thing is, I'm not looking for complete pain relief because you're not going to get complete pain relief. Uh, I just want to get enough pain relief to the point where I can walk, where it's bearable, you know, where I can function a little. Or I can, you know, I can maybe go out and have dinner with my wife for a little while. Uh, you know, that's that's about the best you can hope for. But when you're in a situation like now where you can't get anything for relief, I mean, my will, I think, even to get uh, something to help with the stress. I had a friend of mine who wanted to go in and get some relief for the stress and uh, the doctor prescribed him some, uh, some some Xanax to help with it and he had to sign a contract he had to get a blood test he had to sign a contract saying that he wasn't going to abuse it or that he wasn't going to sell it or that he wasn't going to give it to anybody and then they only gave him like a month supply and every month he has to go in be tested to make sure that he has no other drugs in him uh, and then they'll give him another month's supply. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, like, you gotta be kidding me. 
is this what is this what it's become? You know, in order for you to get any pain relief, you got to go in and get drug tested, sign a contract, and then you go to the pharmacy and the pharmacy gives you the same hassle. So uh, the suffering is only going to increase. And uh, I, I I don't know what to tell people, but they're going to turn to self medicating. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to having my surgery in January and getting this all completely taken out. Uh, I don't think I'll get to a point where I'll be able to try the Chimera. Uh, once, one, I can't afford it. Two, don't qualify for it. Chimera won't pay for it. Uh, insurance won't pay for it. They won't even pay for clindamycin for me to put on my fists or my boils or whatever you want to call them. Uh, you know, the older you, the older you get, the more, I'm going to tell everybody, the older you get, the more difficult it gets. Hoping and praying that that's not true for everybody, but in my case, uh, you know, it's just gotten worse if the older you get. Because the older you get, not only do you have more problems, but you basically have to deal with more as you get older from a physical standpoint. Like I said, a good surgeon will use skin grafts. A good surgeon will move, be aggressive, take more than what he's supposed to. And if he causes you more pain than you've ever had in your life, he's causing you the pain because he has to. Uh, but, you know, if it gives me enough relief for two, one year, two years, three years, well, I don't have anything for that time span. You know, I was lucky this past time where I went for three years without nothing. I mean, it was so exciting. I was able to go to New Mexico. I actually went to... Uh, to the unit fifth dwellings, I went mountain hiking, climbing, not you know, just just walking around, you know, not really any real uh, climbing, but you know, I was able to enjoy life for a short time span, and and uh, you know, unfortunately, it's over now, but you know, I've been dealing with it for so long, and and uh, I'll just continue coping with it and looking forward for the next surgery and. Once I get to that point, then, you know, I'm sure right now I'm up to seven sites again, and maybe by that time, I'll, hopefully it'll only be seven. Hopefully it won't be more. But uh, it also helps in the fact that I have a wife who's an RN. <laughs> Not only is she an RN, but uh, she's a specialist when it comes to psychiatry, so I've managed to keep my sanity thanks to her. So. You know, I'm here, and I've been talking to a lot of people, you know, on Facebook groups and whatever, and, you know, I, uh, I'm i more than happy to ha- answer any questions I can, and, and my experience that I've gone through, you know, can't say that everybody's gone through the same experience, but everybody talks about, you know, I've had, you know, 200 surgeries, you know, and I kept wondering, 200 surgeries, or are you talking about 200 INDs? Because... To me, IND is not a surgery. To me, an IND is just, you know, cut it open, you push it out, and you cover it up, and that's it. And it's going to come back. Don't expect it to go away. When you have a de-roofing, they cut you open, they go in, they cut a little bit more. There's no guarantee they're going to get it all. You want to guarantee that they're going to get it all? Get a plastic surgeon, have them go in there. And if he knows what he's doing, he'll move more than ample enough 
of the HS and the surrounding area that you will not get it back in that area, but you will get it back in the adjoining sites and anywhere on your body where it may show up. Uh, my mom uh, talked to me before she passed away, and she told me that I had my first boil and my first cyst when I was less than a year old. That was on my chest. And I was less than a year old. She took me to the doctor, and he cut it, lapped it, whatever, cleaned it out. And, I mean, I can imagine how big it was because I can still see the scar now. And that was when I was less than a year old. And I understand that my father had it. So uh funny thing about it, I'm, you know, a lot of people say that it may be an immune problem. It may be hereditary problem. They, you know, I really think people don't know at this point. As far as the pyelomyelosis, I know I went through the surgery three times. Funny thing about it is my brother had had it surgery three times. My sister had it twice. So uh, the pyelomyelosis runs in my family, but out of the three of us, I'm the only one that got the HS. So uh, I don't know how common, you know, the pyelomyelosis is, but a lot of people have a tendency to believe that they can just lance it and clean it out, and that's it. Uh, the best way to take care of a panel analysis is to go in and to have a surgeon completely remove the whole thing, and uh, then you will be stuck with packing it in for about two or three months until it heals up from the inside out. In the meantime, you use things like silvagene to go in there and do the debreeding, in between your packaging of the uh, open sore until it heals up. And just using the silvadine uh, is to burn it out and clean it out and to do the debreeding. And even that, like I said, is, is painful as hell. And you get to do this at your own home and somebody else has to do it for you. Uh, so a lot of people don't take care of the panel analysis and that that really gets completely out of control when it starts spreading and uh, shooting roots out all over your rear section. And uh, if you don't take care of it properly, a pedonalysis can spread inward. And once it spreads inward, you've got lots of problems because then it can get all the way down to your bone. And then you can end up with bone infections. And once you got an infection in your bones, it's hard to get rid of. You can get a blood infection. Uh, so, you know, uh, you need to take care of the pyelonatosis just as much as you can HS if you've got a pyelonatosis. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if you got any questions about, you know, surgery, like I said, it, it is painful, and it does require or somebody who knows what he's doing. If the surgeon, you know, uh, is a burn victim specialist, he may know more how to handle it if he hasn't done it before. But, you know, uh, I would say that, you know, you need to find somebody who knows what he's doing. Uh, and it's difficult to find plastic surgeons that know how to handle HS patients. And that's what I had to do is I had to find a burn specialist that was able to help me with mine because a normal plastic surgeon that didn't work with burns didn't know how to address my HS. So, you know, if you have a choice and you don't know of any surgeons around your area or you can't get a referral, 
try to find one that you know at least has burn victim experience because it is it is the key thing is to debreeding and to make sure that when they do the skin graft that it takes hold and it goes in and it stays good and first of all that he knows how to remove and unfortunately I have to say that you know that a surgeon has to be aggressive you know he's got to be aggressive to the point where if he needs to remove remove excess uh, he will remove excess more than capacity to remove everything but at least he'll know how to make it feel well thank you very much i really appreciate your time helping me out with this podcast and telling your story i get a lot of people asking me about surgical options and i've only had a few so it's really nice to talk to someone that's been through a few surgeries and has an understanding of hs um, from a patient level but uh, instead of just a doctor telling you uh, what you're going to expect it's better to hear it from someone that's already been through it so uh, thank you very much i really appreciate your time is there anything else you'd like to say before we end this uh this podcast okay yeah like i said and if anybody any other follow-up questions or anything like i said you know i'm on facebook and uh, I'm here to answer and help anybody I can. Thank you very much, Manuel. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put your information in the show notes, and uh, and I'll, whenever I post it on Facebook, I'll link you to it. So anybody that wants to can add you, so you can answer any questions that they may have about surgery and HS. All right, Pedro, and good luck to you. Good luck on your podcast. You know what's funny, Pedro? About three weeks ago, before I saw your podcast, I was on iTunes looking for an HS podcast. Yeah, and the same thing happened to me. I was looking for uh, for some information on HS, and I was going through the podcast, and I was I saw every other chronic condition has a podcast, but HS doesn't. So that's what gave me the idea to start this podcast and give some information out to people, and uh, you know help them understand this disease and help them get awareness out there to doctors. It's funny. I was thinking about that two weeks, three weeks ago, four weeks ago when I first saw it, and I said, Pedro must have been reading my mind because I was looking for a podcast on HS. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of funny. I had a lot of friends suggesting that I do this because I've always been in uh, into performing and I like to talk. So, you know, they, they thought it was a natural thing for me, so I decided to try it. So, again, I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast. And if anyone has any questions, I'm going to put your information in the show notes, and I'm also going to tag you on Facebook. All right, Pedro, anytime you got any questions, give me a call. I'll be glad to help. You have been listening to the Our HS Podcast, The Warriors of Hydratinitis Seportiva, Episode 6. Today, we spoke with a legend in the world of HS, Mr. Manuel Lugano. We discussed his story with HS and the surgeries that he's gone through. Uh, it's very, very great conversation. I'm very happy that he joined me. Um, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, then thank you for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and our podcast fan page can be found on the Our HS Podcast Facebook page. Come back often and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite RSS feed or to iTunes. You can also follow me on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for joining us. The music heard on this podcast is a royalty-free piece by Kevin McLeod, which is now in the public domain. This is the newest track from his band Severed Personality. They just signed with www.givelifebacktomusic.com. Kevin McLeod was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and is a music and soundtrack composer, known for his work on movies and his distribution of royalty-free music through his website, incomtech.com. McLeod has been in around 1,000 pieces of music freely available for download. His music is used by online content creators, and he's listed as a composer on over 1,000 films on IMDb. This song is licensed under Creative Commons.